0: It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain.
1: Welcome to Be the People. Our show today is about crime, and law enforcement. Unless you've been living under a rock over the past few months, you've seen anarchy in the streets of America. You've seen uh, protests that turn into riots very quickly. You've seen Antifa. You've seen the takeover of a police department and things that most Americans thought that they would never see yet. Almost nightly on the news we see a nation that has descended into chaos. And one of my big concerns and what I wanna talk a lot about today is rising crime in America. And it doesn't just affect the big urban centers, it's affecting all of America. And so I have a guest today that can talk about crime and policing from different aspects. I have with me, a former California law enforcement officer, Sergeant Mike McGrew. And he's gonna share with us about some of his experiences during his 31 year career as a police detective. And he has written a book and he's also founded an organization or co-founded an organization, 9-11 at Ease International. Help me to welcome Sergeant Mike McGrew to the Be The People show. Uh, It's an honor to have you on the show.
2: Thank you, doctor. It's great to be here.
1: You have had uh, quite uh, a life and quite uh, a set of experiences that can help our listeners understand more about what's happening in America when it comes to crime and law enforcement. And one of the questions that I think that a lot of people might have is, Everything seems to be totally out of control. Can law enforcement uh, reassert their authority in a way that we feel, once again, that police officers are respected, that citizens are, are not challenging police officers in such a way that we have a society where there seems to be no law in order that we can count on?
2: I think that we will uh, I was a police officer for thirty one years at out in Santa Barbara in California, and during that time, I worked mostly patrol and uh, the other half of my career was in major crimes, so I did all the investigated all the robberies homicides um, sex crimes, child abuse cases kind of the worst of the worst of and throughout my career, I did see um, times that were similar to this, not exactly like this. Uh, we had the Rodney King incident that happened back in the 90s, and I actually was in the, uh, in the Los Angeles riots that followed that incident, and I did see a change in, in policing. Um, I think that these, um, the, the things that are happening in, in America right now is going to cause change. Uh, As part of one of the programs that we've started up is 911 Addies International international to deal with the behavioral health
1: Let me ask you this. Uh, You say you saw change after the Rodney King incident. Uh, Would you describe that as positive change or negative change?
2: I think it was positive change. Uh, It it was something that, uh, it it was a time when the unrest was not, uh, was not good. I didn't enjoy being down in the, in the riots, but I did see that policing, um, started a, a movement where people wanted to be more uh, part of the, the, the law enforcement wanted to be a, a larger part of the community. And so there was a division, I think, when I first came on between uh, policing and the communities at times. And uh, it was in the 90s that a lot of the community oriented uh, policing philosophies came out. and And I think it's a good program. I think the, uh, what what community policing is 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 that that the the community and the and the police work together. It's, it's very important, and that there's a partnership there, and, yes. and 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 when you have that partnership, uh, there's a trust that begins to happen. And there's times um, where the trust is broken, and I think that's what we're experiencing right now. But it's it's also an opportunity for us to rebuild that trust as well. Uh, I know that there's a lot of good police officers that are out there doing a, a, an amazing job. You don't always see that on, on the news media. Uh, for 31 years, I worked with people of courage and character who did amazing things. They did heroic acts, and, and I saw it daily. But But I have to say that those things are still happening right now, but they're not covered on the media because it's not something that that interest in media at this point there there's a more of a divisive um, slant I think that's happening.
1: Right. And my sense is that police departments are more racially and ethnic ethnically diverse than ever before. And yet the complaints seem to have intensified, have the complaints intensified. And I know that when it comes to police shootings, the number of, uh, of, Police shootings of unarmed black men or maybe unarmed people in general that that has steadily declined
2: yeah it it has the the um, use of force options that have come to law enforcement over the past years have enabled police officers to have a decline in shootings i think uh, there the taser has come out there's pepper spray. There's a lot of different options that have happened. You can't always use those in a case. I mean, sometimes, uh, um, you know, you have to go through the escalation of force before you ever get to a shooting. And sometimes, uh, that can happen very quickly where there isn't an opportunity to use a, a lesser type of force. But, but I would have to say that, uh, the training is better uh, than when I came on uh, 35 years ago. I, I have to say that, um, that, being part of the community and, and just the effort to to build up um, uh, trust within the different sectors of the community is, is really, there's been a big emphasis on that. Uh, the racial um, uh, components is, is something that police officers here in California are, are trained on. As a matter of fact, when I went through the, the Supervisor Leadership um, Institute as a sergeant, one of the things that we did was um, we, we spent a couple of days down uh, down at the Museum of Tolerance in, in uh, Los Angeles. And so there's a lot of programs that uh, law enforcement does participate in so that, uh, that there is a better understanding um, of those that they serve as well.
1: Well, let me ask you this. Um, going to the Museum of Tolerance, which would be uh, a sensitivity training, uh, do you think that was effective or was it a more of a check-the-box uh, exercise for people?
2: Uh, for me, it was effective. It was a meaningful time that we spent there. And, you know, there was honest conversations that would happen uh, between uh, different people in the communities and perceptions that one uh, one person may have of, and, uh, and our own perceptions that we'd have to examine as well. So I, I thought it was a very meaningful uh, time. I'm and glad like,
1: to hear that. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you tell us your reaction when uh, protesters started clamoring to defund the police? Like when you hear someone say defund the police, what goes through your mind?
2: Well, I, I think that that's just something people say without even realizing what that means. So I, I believe that defunding the police uh, is, is not an option. It's something that would be detrimental to any community. And um, the agencies are required to answer 911 emergency calls for service. And if you don't have enough people uh, to do that, Um, it's going to draw in all the the folks that are doing programs like community policing and school resource officers and the things that help us to to bridge that gap in in the community and and do the community outreach so those would be the first programs that you that you'd lose um, because they're not emergency uh, um, 911 type um, positions and if you don't have enough uh, officers to, to go out and serve the public the way that you, you need to. There's going to be, I think, even more of a division. Uh, yes. There, and, and there would be more. Um, uh, it, it just wouldn't be a very good good idea. And I don't know that people, when they say that, they even understand what they're saying. Well, I mean,
1: I think different people probably mean different things. And many cities, including my city of Nashville, they have uh, – Uh, instituted a police oversight board, uh, and that has happened in other cities. Have you had any experiences dealing with agencies like that that are set up to monitor police? It's mostly civilians, but it does have some law enforcement people on there.
2: Yeah, I think uh, each community is a little different. Uh, I know that they are examining that here in in the community that, that I live in. I think they're looking at Uh, just bringing in uh, people that would not necessarily have an oversight over the police, but, um, but would build that um, community around the police. Uh, Civilian police review boards are not always the greatest thing because uh, it's just been my experience that I've seen um, people that want to get on those boards. They may not have the best um, opinion of police and, uh, and, it, and it's a it's a place where you know they can do some damage because uh, it's hard to understand what officers do. It's hard to examine use of force unless you're really specifically trained in it, and then and you've, I done, agree. you've done it yourself. So for somebody to look at you know a situation where an officer was put in harm's way and had to react or use force. And they don't know the whole mindset. They've never been there themselves. They don't really understand what uh, what it takes um, to to basically go home at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the, it can it can cause some problems. And and you know, I, I'm not saying that we should always police ourselves. I, we need to always be accountable uh, to right. the public. Uh, you know, the the badge is that's a symbol of public trust. And, and in my opinion, we can never we can never ever violate that.
1: Well, I've heard some positive things about the uh, citizen academies, police citizen academies. And I've done uh, a couple of ride-alongs with police officers and spent quite a bit of time talking with them. And what really uh, struck me is that the people that I got to know uh, in in, in law enforcement was quite a few. And I do have a degree in criminal justice, a two-year degree in criminal justice. Uh, these were people that I felt were called to be police officers in the same way that someone may be called to be a pastor, or called to be a doctor or a teacher. You know, they were not just people that were there for any other motivation except they felt like that's what they wanted to do was protect people.
2: Yes, uh, it is a calling. Absolutely, is a calling. The people that I work with were called to do that. It's it's a job. You're not going to be uh, ever get rich doing it. Um, but that's not why people do it. Uh, they do it because they want to be a really meaningful part of their community and just have an impact and, and, and serve in a way that, that they're called to serve. Not everybody can be a police officer. You know, there's a lot of people that wash out of the academies that, um, that just figure they, they see what you have to go through. And they're, they said, no, I, I can't do this. I, this is not what I thought it would be. But um, as, as an officer goes through and gets the training and, and, um, you know, there's an interesting period for the first five years, I think. that
1: uh, Let's uh, take a break. Sure. And when we return, I want you to talk about your career. And I know you suffered from post-traumatic stress, and you have uh, an incredible story. And so I want you to share parts of that story uh, with our audience. And so we'll be back after this break. Be The People is sponsored by Cooper Steel, a family-owned business that provides the steel fabrications for buildings across the Southeast. Sixty years ago, Kenneth and Faye Cooper founded the company in Chevyville, Tennessee. What started as a vision is now a nationally recognized company that remains true to its founders' Judeo-Christian values and principles. Cooper Steel is committed to excellence, responsibility, and community. Its motto is, Build Strong, Stand Strong. It treats its employees and customers like family. Learn more at coopersteel.com.
0: All the war on America's cities and claims of racism in the ranks of law enforcement have spirited a renewed debate on racial equality. It was Alexis de Tocqueville who reminded us, Americans are so enamored of equality, they would rather be equal in slavery than unequal in freedom. To which I say, be warned of the shiny object, America. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Well, it's a fight for the soul of humanity.
1: talking with my guest, Sergeant Mike McGrew, and he's a retired police officer, and Mike has uh, quite a story. Uh, Mike, I know that you struggled with post-traumatic stress. Could you share with listeners some of your experiences? How did that come about?
2: When I came on the department 35 years ago, the culture uh, was set up, where uh, Vietnam veterans were the senior officers, and I feel like they paid the price in post-traumatic stress injuries. And um, the culture was then, um, as you looked up to these folks, that, that, hey, you're getting getting a paycheck. This is a tough job, so just go out and do your best and suck it up. And um, there was a sign of weakness maybe for somebody to reach out to get help or uh, maybe a stigma that you couldn't handle the job if you did. But, but police work is something that um, layers stress on people, and, and you do go out, and, and we're good in the fight, we're good in, in the emergency situations, but we experience a lot of things that, that people will never ever have to experience, and I know that I did that job, I know, I know that there was days I was doing that job because I didn't want anybody else in the whole world to have to do what I was doing. And and these are things that you can't you see things that um, that you can't unsee, but um, but that you can't really talk about when you come home as well. And and so what happens is there's a, an isolation that begins to occur because you don't want to bring any of that stuff home. And and uh, yeah, sorry,
1: going. Don't worry about it. Just keep going.
2: Uh, and and you don't want to bring any of. Any of those things home, uh, or or can you talk to them about your friends that aren't that are not in law enforcement? So what happens is there's an isolation that that begins, and, and you begin to check out, and before you know it, um, the, the trauma just continues to to accumulate to a point that can be detrimental to the person that that's exposed to that, and to the agencies as well.
1: Now, Mike, uh, are you married, and were you, or have you been married doing your your law enforcement career
2: yes and and that's one of the that's one of the big um, fallouts of, of of trauma and and then actually the culture that I that I described uh, led to our profession and first responders in general to having a very high divorce rate there's a very high suicide rate uh, there's high alcohol, alcoholism uh, rate as well. And, and I personally, uh, the job cost me two marriages.
1: Uh, I'm sorry.
2: But, but it was something that, um, that happened about 20 years into my career uh, where uh, for, for me, there was a big shift and it, it was my faith. I, I came to the, came to the Lord about 20 years into my career. I'd, and, and that was something that, that helped me a lot. But I also, my youngest son had been diagnosed with bone cancer. He was 12 years old and uh he fought the cancer for six years cancer came back three different times and he died when he was 18 years old and it was at that time yeah it was at that time that i knew i needed to get some help because i was in a place where i just lost my second marriage um uh it it was a it was a time where things were just not they were not going well for me and uh, i did reach out i did i reached out to a counselor but that counselor wasn't uh, ready to hear the things that, that I had uh, on my shoulders at that time, that uh, not only the grief, but there was 20 years of being a cop too, that I needed to unload. And, um, and that, that first, that first appointment, I think, uh, discouraged me a little bit from, from, um, from getting counseling. Uh, And it, and it took a lot to, to get there because, um, a lot of times, in first respond with first responder agencies, if you want to access an employee assistance pl- program or any type of counseling, you have to go to your boss and you have to say, "Hey, boss, you know this this call yesterday really messed me up." And you could be subject to uh, fitness for duty, where you could have your um, your your gun and your badge taken away. And so that would there was a lot of disincentives for getting help. And then the other one was uh, getting culturally competent uh, therapists that, that would be able to help first responders. So having been through all that myself, I thought about, um, a lot of the barriers that were there and, uh, towards the end of my career. And, and we started up the, the at ease program. Okay. And, yeah. And so, so, uh, what came out of the, the trauma that I experienced and, and seeing a lot of my friends uh, who did commit suicide or uh, dealt with alcohol or, um, Lost their marriages, you know. This was this was a time for me to say, okay, let's let's do something different. And Mike, and uh, could you talk about your faith? Because you said that about twenty years
1: into your career, that uh, you came to a, a faith uh, relationship. Would you describe that? Some of us describe it as I got saved or I found Jesus. How would you describe yours?
2: Uh, I would say both. <laughs> for me. <laughs> Uh, I, I'd been dealing with um, going out, doing my best as, as a cop and a first responder, and, and I'd been shouldering a lot of trauma for other people, but also the heartaches that I saw. So to deal with people in uh, in emotional situations, it does take a piece of your heart. And 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 as as tough as I thought I was, I I couldn't handle everything that came my way. And there came to to a point in my life where. Uh, I had lost my second marriage. My youngest son was dying of cancer. My uh, older son had been involved in the drug addiction. And I knew that whatever I was doing, although I was helping everybody else with their problems, I, I was unraveling inside. And, um, and it was at that point that, that I came to the Lord. I, I went to, with my current wife, it was our first date, and we went to a Christian worship concert. And a pastor came out. I had no idea why I was there other than I wanted to go out with my wife. But there was a pastor that came out and he spoke to me and I felt like it was directly to me with 5,000 people being out there. And he said, is there anybody out there who, and he went down my checklist and <laughs> I, I, it was just so supernatural to me that I was looking around at 5,000 people going, how, how did this happen? And, and my cousin, uh, Dan McGrew, who works at the police department, he, he retired as a lieutenant. Uh, he had been raised as a Christian, and um, so I went to him the next day and I said, "Dan, you know, would you tell me about Jesus?" And he did, and it was that point that um, it changed my whole life. There was a transformation that happened in me, uh, where I just began to to pray for more faith, and 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 I finally had a place to take the the burdens that I was carrying and and to lay them down, and I had a God that I had to relationship with a loving God and and a God that understood every single thing that I was there for. But it changed everything. It changed for me. um, The job as a police officer changed from just being a cop to uh, I knew I was at people's doorsteps uh, or on a traffic stop, whatever it may be, for for a bigger reason. And, and, you know, we all have a testimony. Uh, I've been through a lot, through loss, through just all the things that I experienced a a child with a drug addiction. And, and I, I saw how God was taking me and he was putting me in places where um, I was speaking to another parent who had a child with a drug addiction after my son died. God just had me continue. And I told God, I didn't want to go to any more uh, dead children call or uh, tell somebody that they lost a loved one. But those were all the calls that I had. And as I went out, Uh, I could see that I was now standing on that doorstep with the parents who were suffering what I had gone through and that they, my heart was broken wide open and they could see. Um, Right. Yeah. And they would, they would ask me, you know, why, how can you still be standing? And for me, it was the Lord. It was, God gave me strength beyond measure to lose a child is the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody in my opinion. And, and, um, uh, and the Lord got me through that. And when I look back, he was very gentle as he walked me through that whole process. And he just began to use my testimony and he began to use all the blessings that he poured into my life to share with other people. And so, um, so it was faith was a very important thing towards the end of my career. The last 10 years were completely different than the first 20. And, and Mike,
1: was there any one scripture that sustained you during this period as you grew in your faith? What's your scripture?
2: Um, I like Romans twelve twenty one, where it says, don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good.
1: Oh, that's a great scripture for a police officer, isn't it? Or for all of us.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and it was something that, um, that I saw. So no matter how bad the situation was, I'd just, um, just bring love to it. And, and that seemed to just bring peace to the whole, um, to the whole scenario that I'd be involved in.
1: Mike, that's a beautiful testimony, a beautiful story. We're going to take another break. And when we return, I'd like for you to talk about your book and also about your nonprofit. Carol Swain here to tell you about my good friends at Churchill Mortgage. Churchill is a national company that was started in Nashville, Tennessee, with a commitment to educating clients about how to save money and time on home loans and refinancing. Churchill can help you get out of debt. Pick up the phone and call them at 888-562-6200 or visit them on the web at churchillmortgage.com. Tell them Carol sent you. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's Word with miraculous results? There is such a book, Joy Lambs, The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, the theswordofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with my guest, uh, Mike um, McGrew. And Mike, that story is just so powerful. So I'm glad I asked you, you know, about your faith because, uh, Uh, it it just moves my heart and I'm sure that it will move the hearts of our listeners. Uh, Tell us about this book that you uh, published. It's called a higher call to duty.
2: I I wrote the book after um, several community members heard my testimony at at a prayer breakfast and, and they got together and they asked me to write a book. And, and um like i said before we all have a testimony and, and they're very powerful people listen to the things that have happened to us they don't listen to you should statements but they will listen to this is what happened to me and, and they can take take from those experiences and and integrate it into their own life and and during my life um you know i would had so much um trauma and and um professionally as a police officer but but also personally as a, as a parent and a, and a spouse and, and, it, and God touched my life in such a special way that, that I wanted to share that. I wanted to share um, how uh, the Lord was able to take me through the loss of a child uh, through a divorce um, and, and just take everything that had happened in my life and turn it around and use it for good. And I think it's, this is a time right now, especially during these days that, that people, um, they want to, they want to read something about hope. And that's what this book offers. You know, I, I just, I just described the hope that I received as as I continued just to, um, keep focused on God through some very difficult times. And, and, I, and I'm, grateful to be able to share my story. You know, I probably wouldn't have done that 10 years ago, but uh, the people that picked the book up now and they read it, uh, they've really been impacted by it. They're uh, very grateful to have read it. And and I'm grateful to be able to share that story as well.
1: And where can uh, people get a copy of your book?
2: You can get a copy of the book at uh, it's on Amazon. I also have a website. It's Sergeant Mike McGrew Uh, dot com, so it's S-G-T, Mike McGrew, M-C-G-R-E-W dot com.
1: And you're also a speaker, aren't you?
2: Yes, yes, I speak at a lot of different places. COVID is, uh, (laughs) it's been not the the best time for uh, speaking engagements, so, uh, but I have been on a lot of different Zoom uh, meetings and um, uh, podcasts and radio shows. You're
1: you're getting the message out, and that's what's really important. And Tell us also about this organization that you co-founded, Nine Eleven at Ease International. First of all, how did you pick the name for your
2: organization? Well, I, I think it uh, it describes who we we serve. And the nine one one is for the first responders, and and so we serve uh, law enforcement, fire, paramedics, uh, emergency room personnel, doctors, nurses, and EMTs, and. And uh, also district attorneys and just a lot of the folks that I worked with over the years as as a police officer and I saw the effects of the, the trauma and and all those professions. It, it was the same. And um, we, we uh began the program so that we could have a an opportunity for first responders to call a a confidential helpline so what we do is we partner with the communities that they're that they're in and we raise money we raise uh, the funds for the nonprofit. we provide a a helpline that uh, first responders can call once they make that call we get them set up with a a trauma trained uh, culturally competent therapist Uh, who can deal with the issues that the first responders are going through.
1: Mike, when you say culturally trained, what do you mean by that?
2: Well, first responders that understand uh, the the traumas and the things that, that, um, so the therapists understand the traumas and the things that first responders go through. Because not everybody does. And a lot of people are not even trained in that. They're good therapists, but when it comes to to dealing with first responders issues, it it takes another level of, of training.
1: And is this a national
2: organization or is it regional right now? Uh, uh, it, we're going national right now. We uh, started here in Santa Barbara and before we knew it um, over the past seven years, we grew throughout uh, central California and the central coast as well. And then now we're beginning chapters in different parts of the country. We're up in Minneapolis right now. Uh, we're down at the Navajo nation, uh, starting a chapter there. We're in Idaho uh Mississippi and then uh, going into Tennessee as well
1: what so, about Portland? It sounds like Portland needs some support it,
2: yeah we uh, <laughs> I, I I have a feeling that we'll be up there as well, and so uh, if if a person goes to the website it's nine one one aei dot org and you can uh, see all about the the program. You can request a chapter to be started up in your area, and that and uh, on the website. But there's a, a video that's on the front page, and I encourage everybody to watch that video because it shows the impact of uh, what this program is doing with first responders and their communities as well.
1: And so that's a website where if people want to make donations, they can make donations. And you have do you have a uh... Your counselors are they volunteers, and do they staff the lines 24 hours, or how is that set
2: up? Well, the the helpline that we have, there are uh, it's not a suicide prevention line or anything like that, but it is a helpline that is staffed 24 hours by somebody who understands the issues that first responders go through, and and it's designed to uh, set that person up with a uh, with a therapist. The therapist, in a lot of cases, we do pay the therapist. Um, and in a lot of cases, they've reduced their, their rates to be part of the program as well. But um, but it attracts just people that have a heart for uh, treating those who have gone through trauma and, and just the, uh, helping the first responders and keeping them strong. Because once we keep our first responder responders strong, uh, it keeps the community strong. Everybody's out there. You're able to manage your stress levels and... Um, You know, it's just, it's just a very healthy way to operate. And it's something that.
1: Yeah. Mike, I I can't think of a time when uh, people have been so vocal in outright hatred towards police. Because we've had riots before, but I don't think it translated, you know, nationally the way it does now. And when I look at law enforcement as a career, you know, I'm thinking, what same person would go into law enforcement? Yet we know, we've already said that there are people that are called to go into law enforcement. So the same person that uh, volunteers to go to the military, or they volunteer to take some job, you know, where they're risking their lives, that person would do it. But it seems to me that it is a different environment than 20 years ago or 30 years ago.
2: Absolutely it's a very tough time right now for uh, police departments to to be recruiting because people are looking at at the anti police sentiment that's in the media um, but there are still those who are called and and those who uh, who who are applying and and you know there's there's a high bar that we can never lower when we bring people into this profession so it's you know it's a, a department isn't just going to fill um, positions because right. they need build. they're need they going to use, they're going to bring the right people in that, that are qualified to be there. And, and, uh, so it's, it's, it's made it a lot uh, more difficult right now uh, during this time. But I, but I also think as the narrative starts to change and, and we can talk about these type of programs that are out there and, 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 and just, um, see the healing that, that I feel is coming because, right. um, because it is, and uh, you know that, that's going to that's going to build us and bring us to another place. That, well,
1: we started off the interview, at least I started the interview off talking about crime, and I think more and more people are finding out that they do need the police. Uh, there was a story recently in Portland where um, I think Antifa and Black Lives Matter they were running a kitchen for protesters, and it got robbed. And what did they do? Mike, what did they do?
2: They probably called the police. (laughs) They
1: called the police. (laughs) And these were the people that had been out there, you know, taking over a police department, trying to burn it down and um, defund the police. And the first thing they did was call the police. And so we need police officers. And um, I know that one of the things I did this fall was host a national tribute to law enforcement. And uh you know a lot of us love law enforcement. We pray for you guys. We know that you're called and uh I appreciate you and just everything you're doing in the world, your testimony, the organization you started and uh and just everything you represent, my brother.
2: Thank thank you, doctor. I'm I'm so grateful to be on your show and I'm so grateful that you were you're covering these type of things and and having this conversation. Um, So so thank you for encouraging others. Thank
1: you. And to everyone out there, remember what our charge is. Our charge is for us, the we the people, mentioned in the preamble of the Constitution, to stand up and be the people who reclaim our nation and our world. And now we have to reclaim our police departments And we have to make sure that we stand behind those that protect us. Until next time, be the people.